Good morning, Mountain Park. We're, we're going to be talking about that uh, this morning. We're going to be doing a, actually a few things here this morning. We are going to be uh, kind of launching into the whole Christmas season. What's all happening there? By the way, my name is Alan. If you're uh, first time with us, welcome. And uh, we're also going to be wrapping up our whole shebang journey. We're in week 36, week number 36, and we're finishing up. We've been looking at this the whole year. Yeah, I think you're clapping because finally, finally. Also, this morning, I'm kind of excited because I think uh, there's a number of you who are going to walk out of here today and go, hmm, that one I'm going to have to wrestle with. Ah, just, I just love that stuff. Okay, so uh, that's where we're uh, headed a little bit here. Today, we're going to wrap this whole thing up by looking at the last words of Jesus. Now, don't turn there just right now, if, if you don't mind. The last words of Jesus. Now, whenever you end a book or a conversation or a movie, it's pretty consistent that the last words have increased significance, right? I mean, if, if, uh, how many of you can remember what movie ended with Lewis? I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Now, help me out. Casablanca over here. Okay, somebody uh, over 30 uh, maybe guessed, made that guess. How about this one for maybe, uh, maybe a younger generation? Uh, roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. Back to the future, there you go. There's something about the last words that stick. There's a reason we choose to say those last things. You know, the, the last words typically of a redneck? Hey, y'all, watch this. <laughs> uh, I, I just love, that just, that just, it just stirs my imagination, uh, that whole thing there. But the last words are, are so significant. They just carry weight. I mean, how many times are you having an argument with your spouse or with, some, with a close friend or whatever, and you, at the end of that argument, say, you know what, I've said all I need to say. I want to give you the opportunity to say the last words. Okay, we don't normally say that. There's something about, i got to get... The last words. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm, I, I, I'm just kind of in your own mind. Can you think of the last words of Jesus? The, in the last chapter of the Bible, he says three times he says something. In the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, are you aware of what he says there? Let's take a look at it. Revelation chapter 22. See, I got you a little puzzled. So far, that's not the thing that's going to make your head spin. It's coming up later. <clears throat> you have something to look forward to. Okay, uh, here, chapter 22, Revelation, the last chapter, the last book of the Bible. Look with me to verse 7. The red letters in my Bible. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Jump to verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Then jump to verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus ends this whole shebang story. The last words that we have written in Scripture from him, I am coming soon. I'll be back. <laughs> the last words Jesus chooses to use 
is to give us words of hope. Words of hope. Humans can endure an extraordinary amount in life. We've seen that over, over years, millennia of human existence. Humans can endure incredible things, but we cannot endure life without hope. I'm confident many here in this room this morning are in need of a message of hope, and that's how we're wrapping up the whole shebang. Would you bow your head with me today? Father, I'm thankful that you bring hope, and I pray that um, whatever we have brought into this room, you are aware of it, and that you will meet us in that place. And just as the book of Revelation ends, amen, come Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Jesus could have finished the whole shebang a number of different ways. I mean, he could have finished the whole thing out with just this profound doctrine, this final doctrine. If there's one thing I want you to understand, it's this. He could have given one incredible challenge to say, if there's just one thing, my last words, I want to challenge you to do to be this. He could have simply said, remember, believe in me. Don't get confused by all the things that are going around and all the different theological conversations and is it this and is it this and black and white and gray and all these kinds of things. He could have just said, believe in me. But he chose to say three times in Revelation chapter 22, I'm coming soon. Why would he do that? For me, I get the picture of a loving parent who says to a child, who says, I'm going to leave for a little while. And when I'm gone, you're going to be a little bit nervous, a little bit scared. But I'll be right back. I'll be right back, dear one. Remember that the audience that John is writing to here in, uh, in the book of Revelation is an audience that is incredibly persecuted by the Romans. We've talked about this each week in this last little section here. These seven churches are persecuted. Their, their lives are in danger for their faith. They're, they are in great need of hope. And for the last 2,000 years, humanity, followers of Christ, have been in need of hope. We have, have experienced hell, pictures, images, um, portions of hell here on this earth we are in need of hope we are in need of a savior of our father saying i'm coming soon i'll be back i'll be right back we are in need of the assurance that he is coming soon but let's be honest here it's been two thousand years I mean, if, I, if, if my dad said to me, son, I'll be right back, and then didn't show up for 2,000 years, I'd be a little ticked off. I would guess that after a few months, I would start to question that hope, let alone 2,000 years. And the followers of Christ that we find in Scripture, we find in the New Testament, they struggled with this as well. As well. Now, Jesus hadn't said these words yet in Revelation 22, but it's clear throughout the New Testament story, Jesus saying, I'm coming back, and I'm coming back soon. And so his followers were struggling with this. His new believers were struggling with this. And Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, it's just a few books 
prior to the book of Revelation, real, uh, near the end of the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter addresses this concern. Peter is trying to encourage and help these uh, new followers of Christ. And in this, in this section, chapter 3, he is addressing this concern about why isn't he coming back? Why is this still happening? Chapter 3, verse 8. Peter writes to them, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So he's saying, I know it's been 30 years. This is about when, he, when he's writing this. It's about 30 years after Christ had died and ascended into heaven. I know it's been 30 years, but it may be a thousand years. And it may, this may blow their mind. It blow their mind, it would have. It may even be over 2,000 years. But for God, a day is like a thousand years. So really, for us, it's only been a couple days. For us here in our time, in God timing, it's just been a couple days. He continues, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. As we've talked about the last few weeks, the book of Revelation makes it very clear that there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of exactly the timing and how this, this stuff is going to work, but there will be a day. There will be a judgment day. As described in Scripture, and, and chapter 20 gives us a lot of information about what that day is going to look like. And God does not want anyone to perish. He wants to give us every opportunity we can possibly have for that, so that different generations, different families, different communities, different nations, tribes around the world can have access to who Jesus is, can know where the salvation comes from. He wants none to perish. He's not slow in the way that we would understand slow. He's patient, hoping that he's waiting for something to happen. He's waiting for something to be completed. Now, I think there's great wisdom in what Jesus chooses to do with these final words. I think there's great wisdom in saying, I'm coming soon. I mean, I, I, my oldest is nine. I don't have a teenager yet. But if I had a teenager and I spent, you know, my wife and I spent time leaving them home alone, I would prefer to say to my teenagers, I'm coming back soon rather than, we'll be back on Monday at 7 p.m. I think there's great wisdom in not giving this, this big space to say, we're not coming back till here. You can do anything you want in the meantime as long as you're ready for Monday at 7 p.m. But instead, he says, I'm coming back soon. I would want my teenager to know at any moment, any minute, mom and or dad can be stepping in. I think there's wisdom there. If God had said... 2,000 years ago, I'll be back in a little over 2,000 years. I think that would have just sucked the hope out of that generation and so many generations after that. Going, really? Then what, what, what are we doing now? If this is all going to happen then, what, what is this all about? What are we doing now? I think God was so beautifully and, and, and perfectly intentional in saying, right now, these are the end times. You here in the first century, these are the end times. Believe it, live it now. 
You in, in around the turn of the millennium, these are the end times. You in 2010, moving into 2011, these are the end times. If we continue to exist into 3,000, these are the end times. That we would, in every generation, believe he's coming soon. That's not a manipulative thing. That is a, that is a, a piece to say, let us be on our guard at all time. He's coming soon. Anytime, I think that we are to live life with a sense of urgency. With a sense of urgency. What are we waiting for? I mean, if you feel that God has nudged you to do something, to start something, to change something, to have some part of your life transferred over Him, to be transformed by Him in some way, to create something, to write something, what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? I mean, the older we get, the faster time goes. Right? I mean, now, 10 years can go by, boom, and it can seem like a day. Maybe that's our way of kind of understanding what Peter meant when he said, for, for God, a day is like a thousand years, boom. It just goes so fast. What about now? What are you waiting for? If you are interested in growing in your relationship with Christ and getting serious about, about wow, I... It seems that other people have some kind of legitimate relationship with Christ. I don't have that, and I want it. If you're serious about that, what are you waiting for? If you want to live your life, here's the kind of the big challenging one, and, and, and give generously with that which is so hard to, to give up, what, what are you waiting for? Why not participate in the outreach, Christmas outreach offering this year? What, what, what are we waiting for? People say, well, I'm, I'm waiting for this, or I'm waiting for that, or I'm waiting for the economy to turn around. You might not live that long. Seriously, what are we waiting for? If you've been a part of the whole shebang for the whole thing, and you've been sitting here and kind of processing and whatever this whole thing has been throughout 2010, and you get the sense, understand the theme that you have a vital role to play in this whole story, that it is a whole shebang story that involves this generation, this church, that involves your heart, your soul, your family, you are part of the story, that if you have been a part of this for the whole year and you haven't picked up on that, even with the unwritten journey that we did a couple months ago, we had small groups going through this and to say, what, did, what are your previous episodes and how does God want to use your story to do something meaningful? And in the midst of that, you haven't got the idea that maybe I am significant. Maybe God does want to do something significant and unique and meaningful in my life. If you haven't picked up on that and you've been here for the whole year, maybe you're in the wrong place. I, I just ask respectfully, perhaps your parking spot and your space in children's ministry and your seat here could be better used by somebody else in our community who is dying for hope and purpose in their lives. There's a sense of urgency to this. Any time. What are we waiting for? That's a challenge to me personally as well. Huh? talking to myself there so there's this there's this hope that Christ gives by saying I'm coming soon I'm coming behold I'm coming soon and right prior to this John gives in the chapter right uh, 
preceding chapter 22. In chapter 21, or at the beginning of there, John paints a beautiful picture of what this is going to look like. A beautiful picture that my guess is many of us have heard before. I want to read it here, just a few verses. The beginning of chapter 21. John paints this picture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's a beautiful image, a beautiful picture. And then chapter 21 goes on to give more and more details about streets of gold and how this is all going to look. This is not a new concept. This isn't first introduced here in Revelation chapter 21. About 800 years prior to this, in Isaiah chapter 65, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and says, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. This has been the plan all along. This, this is the plan, that there will be a glorious ending to this story. That's why we love happy endings. Some of us are just cynical enough to say, I don't like happy endings. But deep down inside, most of us naturally, we like the American happy ending story. That's kind of the, this, the, the whole shebang, it's going to end well. It has a good ending to it. Do you remember uh, uh, Titanic, the ending of the movie Titanic? I mean, it's, it's kind of a sad ending, right? I mean, he, he's not with her, and the boat splits apart and separates and sinks. And, and the movie, however, it doesn't end with this fade out of this deteriorating ship at the bottom of the sea. Do you remember how it ends? The ship is restored. And this beautiful computer uh, technology restores the ship to its original beauty. There is restoration there. That's the story that we find in Scripture. The story of restoration. Our bodies will be resurrected, will be restored. The bride and the groom will be reunited. That is the story of Scripture. And it is a beautiful ending to the story. It's a beautiful picture that John paints for us. A picture of hope. Let me read this last verse again. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This section is often read at funerals. And it is a picture of peace and hope. But, what about now? What about hope now? See, there's two kinds of Christian hope. There's, there's the first kind, which is the Christian hope for a, a future. A future as described here in John chapter 21. And again, it's an attempt to describe this beautiful streets of gold. Maybe streets of gold isn't going to be the thing that draws us. Maybe a, a choir of angels for eternity isn't going to be the thing that draws us. Maybe that sounds more like hell to us. But there is this beautiful future that is a, a restored part of the story. That's one Christian hope. The other Christian hope is what about now? What about this week? What about today? What about what's going on in my life right now? 
And so, and, and what we do is we, we separate those two hopes. And most Christians are pretty good with the second one in understanding the Revelation 21 idea that one day there will be restoration and I can have hope for a future. But there's less confidence in the second one, in the one having to do with hope now. What about hope today? N.T. Wright um, uh, wrote a book called Surprised by Hope. And he stirs up something with regard to these two hopes that I think is just so profound. He says that these two hopes are not to be separated. Uh, the book I, m- I mentioned, Surprised by Hope, it's listed in, your, uh, in the sheet. If, uh, you have, if you want to go more deeply into this, I highly recommend this book. But these two hopes, we separate them. We say, yeah, I've got hope for the future, but I kind of struggle in terms of my hope for this week. And he says they are one and the same. They are connected, these two hopes. And he says that the confusion with regard to separating these two hopes has to do with our understanding of heaven. That most people would say, and here's where I might challenge some of you here. Most people would say that when we die, we go to heaven. Most Christians, most many who are not Christian would say, yeah, if there's a heaven when I die, I'm going there. I'm pretty good. When I die, I'm going to heaven. Just without raising hands, just kind of think about whether that's, yeah, I would agree with that. The only problem with that is that the Bible never says that. The Bible doesn't say when we die, we're going to go to heaven. Paul talks about citizenship in heaven. To, to the Philippians, he says that we have citizenship in heaven. But just because you have citizenship somewhere, it doesn't mean you live there. The people of Philippi themselves, they were Roman citizens. But they, never, they, don't, they didn't live in Rome. They most likely never been to Rome. Rome never wanted them to go there. Rome, instead of wanting people of Philippi, because they're Roman citizens, to go to Rome, Rome didn't want that. Rome wanted people of Philippi to bring Rome to Philippi. Instead of coming to Rome, bring Rome here. And it's the same way for us here. We don't go to heaven. We are to bring heaven here. Heaven is to come to us. See, this picture that John paints in, in, uh, in Revelation chapter 21 about a, a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, that happens here. That happens here. Remember the, the prayer that Jesus models. He says, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the hope is not separated from there will be hope one day that I'll be able to experience this, and then what am I going to do with life now? What am I going to do with hope now? Instead, the, the, it is about, those two things are connected, that we are not just to have hope one day, we are to have hope here and now on this earth while little bits of heaven are coming more and more into the presence here. Thy kingdom come, may your heaven experience happen here. I am a citizen of heaven but here is where heaven's coming. See, if we don't view it that way, if all we see is, is this first hope, this hope of a, of a future place away from 
earth, then our time on earth and earth itself becomes a shabby, dirty, temporary, terrible, yucky, to be discarded place. Now that has environmental repercussions to it. It's not just about a future hope separated from a present hope. We are not going to go to heaven. Ugh, this, is so, this is so fascinating that heaven is to come here. We are not limited to having a, a future hope. The restoration is to happen here. See, I see some of you going, whoa. Uh, let's wrestle with this one here together a little bit. This, th this idea of separating these two hopes, hope of a future and hope now, this is what frustrates so many followers of Christ. We talked about a couple weeks ago with, with why is there hell going on? If Jesus is victorious, why do I continue to have hell in my life? Why is there no hope this week, this day? It's frustrating if we separate those two things. It's also repulsive to those who are considering Christianity. Those who are seeking or searching or wondering about what, what, what this would mean. It can be repulsive. You maybe have heard people say about Christians, say they're so heavenly bound that they're no earthly good. You heard that? Accusation or whatever, indictment. That so much hope about this future streets of gold that are they any good with regard to, are they, any, are they offering anything here on this earth right, right here, right now? That's what... Karl Marx was addressing when he said that religion is the opium of the people. That if Christians, are, or if religion makes someone so focused on the future, on this heaven, that they're not going to do what it takes to fight for what needs to be fought for here on this earth. That in his situation, uh, it's about uh, uh, overthrowing a, a, a government. That there would be a revolt. You see, if, if all we're concerned about is this first hope, is this hope in heaven, then what does that mean about our days here? I mean, why would we oil the wheels of a machine that's just heading off the cliff? And this separation of these two hopes is not what we see in the New Testament. It's, it's not what we see in the whole shebang story. We see that the followers of Christ were revolutionaries. They were willing to do extraordinary things for their faith. They were willing to stand up to the Roman officials. They were willing to give their lives. They weren't just saying, you know, I have a future hope, so for now, even in the midst of all that I'm experiencing here, I'm just going to hang on and wait so that when I die, then I can experience something beautiful. They were saying, I'm going to do something now. That heaven is supposed to come here now. And they did some radical things and gave their lives for it. That's where the urgency comes in here. It's not just about a future hope. The hope in the future and the hope now are connected because we get to be a part of God's plan to bring heaven here. I got a card, a uh, connection card last week. 
uh, from a first-time visitor, and she said, I'm trying to go to medical school and take care of my two sons. We have nobody here in Arizona. We moved here a year ago. My husband left while I was at school one day. Two sons. It has been bad after bad. I need the strength to make it. That's why I'm here. First-time visitor. Someone who gets it. If, if you're here because you want permission to do the things that you want to do in your life that are outside of what's described in Scripture, then you're in the wrong place. That, that's uh, uh, out of uh, uh, social and political safety. We're not going to say, yeah, okay, go and do that. The world's changing and it's different than what Scripture had in mind. That's not what we're going to say here. If you're here because you want to hear a, a health and wealth message saying that there's a promise for your health and, and your wealth, and your, then, then you're in the wrong place. But if you're here because you need the strength to make it, because it's been bad after bad, if you're here because you want a hope that is not just something that will happen one day later on, if that's all the hope is, then, then why continue to live life here on this earth? If, if you're here because you want a hope not just for some glorious future, but a hope that is connected to hope today, this week, in my relationships, in my struggles now, then hopefully this is a place where we can unleash that together by the power of God. I know there's many of you here who are in need of hope. Some of you need a job. You need to pay the rent. You need to pay the mortgage. You need hope. Some of you need hope in your most deep relationships. That you're struggling in your relationships with your kids. That your kids are just drifting further and further away from God and that just tears your heart apart. Maybe it's, it's the other direction. Maybe you're struggling in your relationship with your father or your mother. Maybe you're struggling in your relationship with God and you just have a whole lot of questions that are, that are really really creating crevices for you in that relationship. <clears throat> Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe your husband is not loving you. Maybe your wife is not respecting you. Maybe there hasn't been intimacy in your marriage relationship for a long time. And you need hope, not just for a future, but right now. The area that, that I as I've reflected on this week, the area that, that I feel like I need hope in is the area that is my number one resp pastoral responsibility. Number one responsibility for me. And that's my home, my family. That if I do well here and I fail at home, I fail. I totally get that. My relationship with my wife is, is, going, is going great. I mean, I remain very thankful. Uh, we have plenty of things that we need to work on, she more than me, but I... But I remain thankful, so thankful that, that uh, there is a high level of trust and faithfulness and integrity there as we continue to work on our stuff. But where I, as I've, again, as I've reflected this week, where I feel like I need the most hope has to do with my, my, uh, my kids, my role as a dad, our role as parents. There are times where I feel like I'm doing great. There are times where I feel like, man, 
yes, those are my kids. Yes, they got our last name. Oh, I'm excited about that. And then there are other times where I think, man, are we doing this well? Have I messed up? My kids are nine, seven, and five, and I remember hearing a long time ago that kids' character and personality are formed by the age five. My youngest kid is five, and sometimes that makes me think, oh, no. I mean, there is, there is the fear of God that sometimes settles in there. Uh, uh, the ways that I have wounded, that I have been impatient, that I have not done things that, that, I, that I could have done. And I need hope there. I need hope that my imperfection will be covered by the presence of Christ in my life and in our home. I need hope that the the heaven that Scripture talks about is not just something that will be one day in the future, but that there are glimpses and portions of heaven that get to come into my life and into our home now to cover for my gross imperfections as a father. I need hope with that. And I think many of you do too. In what area of your life do you need hope? Is it in your marriage? Maybe only one of you is, is at this point saying, I want to hang on. My goodness, you need a tremendous amount of hope and, and encouragement and strength there. Maybe it has to do with your kids. Your kids are at different stages. Maybe you've got a little one and you just, you're just so frustrated, so frustrated and you're tired. Maybe they're, maybe they're 40 and you thought you'd be done when they were 20 and, and, and you're not. Maybe it has to do with your other relationships and you're, you're dating and you just find yourself dating a bunch of losers and you need hope there. You need a job. You need to, uh, hope in terms of your finances. Just, just like that video that we saw right on the, on the front end before I came up to speak, that kind of Christmas introduction video with the presence of Christ here in, in this world in humanity, may heaven's light shine into this world. May heaven's light shine into that place in your life where you need hope. May heaven's light shine now, not just for some glorious future, but may heaven's light shine now. What we're going to do as we wrap up here is uh, Marsh is going to come up and we're going to do one final song. And uh, during that song, I actually invite you to stand. Would you, would you stand, please, where you are? We haven't done this in a while, but I want to invite any of you here who are in need of some hope now, not just future hope, but hope now. If any of you would like to just have a physical expression of that need, I invite you to just come on up, come up, come on up front. There's nothing scary about this. Just wherever you are, just slip out of the aisle wherever you are and just come on up in front during this song. And then at the end going to pray together. I'm going to pray over any, any who decide to gather and say, just come on down. If you need hope in some area of your life, a practical hope, let us wrap up the whole shebang, embracing the words that Jesus said, I'm coming soon, soon. Don't just hang on because one day, but you get to experience the transforming power of Christ now. Just let this song be sung over you.
Can we just dim the lights a little bit, please? And if you feel led, just come on up front and just take some time with God here.